listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 48 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. Another episode of the movie podcast that we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hobicky, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Hassan Godwin, and Lathan Conger III. Today's returning guest is a musician, film historian, and the author of over 40 published books. Most probably well-known is the first American author of continuation James Bond novels from 1996 through 2002, when he wrote six original 007 novels and three film novelizations. His acclaimed series, The Black Stiletto, is currently in development, and his most recent thriller, Hotel Destiny, A Ghost Noir, is available now. Raymond Benson, welcome back to Cinemental. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. You're our second return guest. Oh, yeah, and I, 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 like, I like having Raymond on because he, he elevates the, the credibility of our show by bringing on serious films for us to discuss, <laughs> as opposed to things like Six String Samurai. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I think we will... Suffer from consumption. <laughs> what in the name of God? So, uh, so this week, fairly light. Finished uh, watching Alone, seasons four and five. I wa- we watched a new horror anthology film called Death Sember, uh, which has got twenty five short horror films. Wow. Well, it's like How you know, it's like ABCs of Death, you know. It's, yeah, an know, hour, it's an hour and a half. Wow, they the, fit that the, many in? Okay. The films are all like three to five minutes long. Oh, okay. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. If you watch ABCs of Death or, or VHS, any, either one, any of those, not VHS, but ABCs, go, go hunt down ABCs of Death. And, it's on uh, my list, yeah. yeah ABCs, my... Of, ABCs of Death has got some fun stuff. Um, most of the stuff in December is, quite frankly, pretty confusing. It was put together, the project was put together by a German filmmaker, and a lot of the short films I was left shaking my head at the end of. There's only a handful of the 24 or 25 that you just watch and go, okay, cool. A lot of them were just kind of like, what? It's like they literally show you like a chapter of a story. And yeah, you're like, that's kind of annoying. Uh, so, you know, anyway. Right, well, we'll uh, skip that. We watched the new Blumhouse Fantasy Island finally. Really good concept to kind of reapproach this to to you know conceive this as a new possible you know IP jumping off uh is either an ongoing film series or TV series handled miserably. Just bad. Really? Just bad. It's a yes. TV show, right? TV. Well, it, it was in the 70s, yeah. What was this? This was a remake of it, right? This is, this this is, a, a, this is a film. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. This was a film where they essentially, they essentially set up the concept for a new generation. You know, theoretically, 
potentially setting up a new to go on creating Fantasy Island, either films or an ongoing television show. But more more horror-based, I think, than, you know, Fantasy Island had some spooky segments to them, but it was more dramatic and love story stuff, so... Doesn't even work without Ricardo Montalban. Uh, it was know? fine without Ricardo Montalban in and of itself. It was I didn't I didn't have any problem accepting uh, the guy that they have as Mr. Rourke and his. They they give him a whole backstory, whereas the TV show really never did. Uh, they give him a whole backstory, a reason for being there. The, unfortunately, they I felt that they give a little too much away when it comes to the explanation of how the island works and why it does what it does. I, they kind of gave away the farm in the movie, and I felt like yeah. at that point you're like... You don't need okay. to tell us why. Well, it's like, well, here's the thing. I think that if they were going to go the route of telling us and giving all the information, they would have had to fucking nail the story. And the story is just wildly inconsistent. So that's really its its larger problem there's a twist involved obviously because you're not going to do anything nowadays without a twist especially not a horror film and the twist quite honestly it's okay it's not great um however i did watch ready or not oh yeah and i have no idea how i missed this for so long i remember seeing the trailers i remember thinking gotta see this when it comes out on on to 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 you know dvd their download whatever uh fucking great great movie um i would compare it if you haven't seen it with the movie you're next uh in its level of just sort of bash you over the head greatness uh great strong great strong female protagonist um just a lot of fun if you're uh you know they i mean again they call it a horror movie it's 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 horrific, but it's there's no there's nothing paranormal. You're right, son. Well, yeah. Okay. Listening to much away. What's that? Don't give too much away. I'd like to see it. No, I know. I'm just saying. There's not like it's not like. Anyway, it's it's really great. Yeah, um, it's a it's a really it's really a lot of fun. It's on HBO Max, so. Um, all three of these movies, which we watched actually in the same night, are all on HBO Max. Uh, I went back and watched Magic from 1978 with Anthony Hopkins as the magician and ventriloquist. Oh, yeah. Wow. I, uh, I had not seen that. I had not seen that in easily 30 years. And uh, uh, not great, but it didn't it didn't fall apart. And it's man, it's a fucking acting tour de force from from anthony hopkins you know a really young anthony hopkins it's fun to see him just chew it up especially when you you think you know essentially what's happening and you, you know don't. and and well yeah uh and then watched a really bad movie called island of blood oh okay. which was really funny in the fact that when the credits of the movie open or when they show the credits or the title card for the movie, it's actually called something else. So that was interesting. Um, Did you see the sequel to that movie? Oh, boy. <laughs> no, you didn't see it? Which was? Island of Blood 2. It actually isn't a sequel to this film. 
but you uh, brought that on yourself, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I did. How he said, "Yeah, it was such a tired." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. And I started. Uh, we started watching Hannibal. So. Oh yeah, here it's great. Here it's great. Can't wait to watch that too. Uh, yeah, the right. The writing is just. Just, yeah. just absolutely phenomenal. Manage your expectation. <laughs> when you get to season three, you'll real you'll realize why there wasn't a season four. Okay. Wow. Okay. They say they want to do it though. Yeah, I have a feeling it's going to get done. Anyway, not on not on uh, NBC. You can see why they – first of all, you're, it, you're watching it right now. You can see why it pushed NBC to the limits because, like, for a, church, for a TV show – For a network television on, show, Yeah, yes. that was on Channel 4, like one of the, the number one uh, – NBC, the number one network in America. It was like, wow, I can't <clears> believe this is actually – I'm actually seeing this on television. Well, that's weird, too, especially since it's only 13-episode seasons that they did uh... – yeah, because it kept, it was mid-season replacements. It kept coming back as a mid-season replacement for something else. Or um, well, that's really weird. the The thing is, and without giving anything away, without saying anything about it, they start to. The, there's nothing wrong with the writing or the characters or anything like that. They start to pull some narrative gimmicks that it that become so infuriating that infuriating to you. I would imagine it's infuriating to me, but I mean, from what I've read, it's okay. Like, um, well, I mean, no, but you say you imagine you saying you haven't watched it. I've seen it. Oh, I've seen okay. the show. Well, then you don't imagine, you know, well, I, I it's I'm, still his opinion. I'm talking, I'm talking about, yeah, I'm just giving my well, opinion of it, but it's I, mean, not I imagine opinion. it's, it's, it's a number of people felt the same way I did, okay. which is one of the, um, it gets like, it's kind of like a lost situation where they just start stringing out the, like, le- let's say, because this is a hypothetical, this is not a, you know, let's say they end on a, they end one season on a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And then the next season, they take maybe five episodes to get back to the cliffhanger. Okay. To start I didn't your, have you a know, problem with that. That's what Twin Peaks did too, so. Yeah, but I mean, if you're watching, if you're binging it, yeah, all right. But if you're watching it week to week, and you came back to get right. to and all of where a that they just ignore something for five yeah. weeks, yeah. yeah, I get it's, it. So, so a lot of times, like it was, it's it's one of those situations where something is going to fall apart because you're watching that first season. Like this is so well done, you know. My cynicism is like, where is this going to start to come apart? Because they right. can't keep this level of quality up forever. And what happens is. The, the like I said, the actors stay solid, the writing stays solid, and then somewhere along the line, they start to imply in 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 install some gimmickry in the narrative, and you're like, why is this? Why are you guys doing this? You know, just keep <laughs> it, just just stick with the story, you know. Um, so you'll see, and it, and it might not bother you at all. You know, it might be something that doesn't bother you at all, but I right. think it bothered a lot of people. It was like the <clears throat> Twin Peaks thing, where they came back. And they just they they never solved. The, well, they, they did, but it took eight episodes to solve. Yeah, it. and I it, love and it, most people did not. People people's patience wore out. You yeah. know, especially after well, you make promises. You know, people's patience kind of just. Um, 
it's really weird. I remember the, excuse me for a sidebar. I remember the, the, I wasn't really into Twin Peaks. I was very much when I was younger trying to get into it because all my friends were into it. Right. And it was just, I wanted the water cooler experience with the rest of them. And I, it was so cerebral that it was really difficult for me to break into. But I do remember that last uh, episode uh, of the of the first season, the season finale. I do remember Kyle McLaughlin getting shot and him fading to black. Oh, you yeah. hear his you hear his body hit the the floor and you, and they face to black. Yep. And then knowing that it's that we're done until September or yep. October, Boy. I remember that made me insane. Yeah, it was. It's funny that I I don't feel that way about shows anymore. Like even shows that I do like when they, when they, and the shows aren't even guaranteed to come back the next year yeah. anymore. It Did could take two, three years before it Twin comes Peaks back. Son? Um, I, I saw the, I saw the season premiere to, to see what happened to Kyle McLaughlin's character. Did I you think watch I want the episode where they reveal who the killer is. I did. I mean, that's but, like top five television hours of all time. That's, that's, it, 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 I remember watching it and just being like, I, I can't believe this is on TV and I can't believe they're telling a story this way. This is brilliant. That's what I thought. Okay. It's funny that that, that, that drove you, you crazy not, because Hassan, you, you did not probably weren't paying attention to television. And I'm trying to think you're what, three? Three years younger than me. I just turned forty-seven. Oh no! Okay, so you're five years younger than me. Yeah. So you did not live through who shot Jr. I did. I was. I knew it because my mom was a, was crazy into Dallas. Okay. All right. I didn't. I didn't know it enough to be into it, but I knew that who shot. I mean, my cousins had I know who shot Jr. T-shirts all that summer. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it was a it was a big big deal. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That was uh, a, a major but I thing. Did, but you're right. I wasn't. I I um. I wasn't in. I wasn't old enough to be into Dallas. Right. Right. I remember getting in trouble. Um, it's a stupid story. I got in trouble because uh, the the episode where some mad bomber was trying to blow up Ewing Oil. They kept they kept kept setting bombs on their derricks or whatever. Something something like that was going on. And Bobby was trying to, they were trying to, to stop this lunatic. Um, and the, the guy, I think they shot the guy or something like that. And, you know, with his last breath, he like pressed the button. It was really bad, superimposed explosions over right. the, the overviewing oil. But I, I remember being like, yes, because I wanted to see an explosion. <laughs> and my mother was infuriated. She was like, you know how many people just died? Oh like, boy. It's not real, you know, but I got <laughs> it's just TV got, died. <laughs> yeah, I got busted for it. I do remember that. I she was she was angry at my bloodlust. So I'm like, I want to see it explode. I want yeah. you know, because I didn't know. You were just like a young on. Michael Bay. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome pool. And, awesome and, kitty. <laughs> and and Lay yeah. And Latham, you'll you'll appreciate this. I uh earlier in the week, meaning Monday, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole. And did uh, in my in my searching for I got I can't remember what the hell I was initially looking for. Anyway, I started looking for um, my sort of annual year end trip down. Uh, what music might have come out this year that I may have missed? Uh, oh, yeah, this trip is a good time to do it. They just released best album lists. 
Well, yeah, it wasn't even that. I just I just started look I just basically put 2020 into a search box, yes, is huh? Oh, okay. I was actually uh thrilled to find out that a new pretenders album came out this year. Yep. Uh new killers, new Bush, new Travis, a eight Bush? Yeah, yeah Bush new, had a new album. New Bush album really? this year. Of all the wow. albums of uh, and of all the albums I listed there, honestly, if you're a Bush fan, you'll dig it. It's it's it, it doesn't stand out, but it's 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 definitely Bush and it's more of the same, but it doesn't it doesn't even stand out as much as like the album that he did that that uh the uh the side project he did, the um what is it? Uh is- isolation horses or whatever it is. No, a Gavin Rossdale, uh his his side project that he did. I know it. <laughs> It's uh, I don't know it. Well, I do know. Okay. I w- I will say honestly that I, the the it, there's been a strange phenomenon in the last few years that every song that I hear that I that I pick up randomly, like in in televisions or in movies or in passing, and I and I really like it and I really like, mm-hmm. like seriously dig it. They always turn out to be a killer's song. It oh. always turns out. I mean, it's a great catalog. Yeah, they've got a they're very diverse sound. Like a their, lot of their their songs. new their new album is no different. It's it's another solid outing from them. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of what they're doing. I like Brandon Flowers' voice a lot. I like yeah. the music they do from the beginning. Has been a little bit of a throwback anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as throwbacky as let's say she wants revenge was, but um, the killer stuff I like. I really dig a lot. And the new Did pretend you- and the new Pretenders album is fucking fantastic. Did you okay. ever watch a, a Boardwalk Empire? I did not. I have. I. I. It. Yeah. They have a great. You can't watch it though because it, there's tremendous spoilers in it. But they have a great, great full <laughs> season, like a, a video, uh, like a kind of a trailer wrap up okay. video, like a, just a commemorative, um, and it's done to uh, tranquilize by the by the the killers okay fantastic it goes perfectly with it it's it's nice it's it's visual but i mean if you've never seen it there's lots of spoilers for the show so and they also released an eight disc that's eight disc remastering with bonus tracks of prince's sign of the times eight discs that's ludicrous it is not ludicrous. ludicrous. It is. It is miraculous, and it's and it is it is exactly. Listen, it is exactly what I expected to happen from the Paisley Park archives after his death. That they're going to go through and they're going to start remastering these old albums and they're going to start releasing all this material. And he would record. There's dude. There's rumors that there are hundreds of albums worth of material locked away in the Paisley Park archives that he just recorded and never released. And shelved him. Yeah. You know, there's whole movies crazy. that he did. I mean, there's a great story from Kevin Smith about a movie that, that, uh, that he hired Kevin Smith to come in and film exit interviews from test listening parties for one of his album, re- his upcoming album releases. Yeah. He would have, he would have a whole auditorium full of people come in and listen to a new album. And then Kevin Smith would do exit interviews and film them. And he hired Kevin Smith to come out and do this for a week. And Kevin's like, you know, after this was all done, Kevin's like, you know, hey, you know, when, you know, 
what's going to happen with these, you know, you know, when are we going to edit these, to, is he going to edit some of these down and, and do it in there? And the, and the secretary who was there was just like, uh, no, <laughs> most likely these will just go into the archive and no one's ever going to see these. And he's just like, wait, what? Yeah. You just spent all this money and brought he's me like, out. Why here did, yeah. Why did you hire me to, to do something? You could just hire a guy on the street to point a camera. You know, you didn't need me. Yeah. But that's some yeah. weird, um, yeah. some weird just, moment where he he, he saw probably saw Kevin. Mall Rats and liked it, and yeah. was just like, hey, "I'll hire it? this guy to come out for a weekend film <laughs> exit interviews." Just crazy. So you're you're a Prince fan? Oh, I'm a huge Prince fan. That's funny because Deirdre is like notoriously dislikes Prince. If I remember it correctly, I remember oh. trying to play <clears throat> Prince in the car one time, and she freaked out at me. Prince, so. Prince is a guy. So when 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 purple rain came out i was not a prince fan but by the time um uh not sign of the times diamonds and pearls by the time oh, diamonds and pearls came out i was album. a tremendous prince fan and i then went backwards and and realized kind of what i had missed and what i discovered was if you and, and it's hard harder to do now well it's arguably a little harder to do now, but you can go backwards with Prince's catalog and he is consistently musically several years ahead of the curve on music trends consistently throughout his album career. So you can kind of see where music is going by listening to his albums a few years after they come out. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It is absolutely nuts. But no, I was I've I've been a tremendous Prince fan ever since Diamonds and Pearls. Diamonds and Pearls just that's my I I've never liked him more than uh, when he was with the Revolution. Those right. were my right. those are my favorite albums. Yeah, that, that's all my. But I mean, look, it it it's not like the music got weak or anything like that. It's right. just it's just the the he's he literally has several genres of music all on his own. Like he's yeah. got eras, you know, of absolutely, you know, like the, the new power generation, it was, that was a great era. I didn't, I wasn't into it as much as the, the revolution, but there's some uh, diamonds and pearls. It's a fantastic album. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and it's right. funny when I finally sat down to watch purple rain, it's a fucking great movie. I mean, just outside yeah. of that album, but I mean that, that that's a great movie. Yeah. Never saw it. It's, it's really good, Latham. Okay, I'll see. It's on my list. It's it's, my... it's very eighties. <laughs> of course, but it's very of good. Course. Like musical. Is it a yeah. true musical? No, no, no. Okay. It's a it's a movie. It's a movie about music people. So okay. there's there's live footage because there's concerts. You know, there's there's performance footage because there are performances that take place in the film. That's everybody. Morris Day at his peak. Oh. Uh, Prince says his. Prince at his peak, the yeah. all of it. My my God, really, it's great. I'm gonna stuff. watch that again. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I was I was you know listen, I was super excited last year when they when he they put out that that uh, that originals album of his, uh, all the all the songs that he had written for other people uh, yeah. that he had done recordings of and just never ever released, and yeah. so they finally released a whole album of his own recordings of his own songs, just Manic Monday and uh, all those. The nothing weird... compares to you. Yeah. Jesus. All of so many that you're just like, fuck, Prince wrote that? Fuck, yeah. of course he did. So 
Anyway, so you look at it and you're like, well, oh, no wonder he was crazy, <laughs> you know, yeah. in a good way. But, you know, you know well, like, and that, that's the thing, though, man. It's like, is it, is it, was it, was his craziness stemming from the fact that he was burdened with this ability to kind of be not in the time that he was in? You know, how, how do you, how do you, you know, now it's, you know, now you look at it and go, well, shit, maybe that's, you know, when you know, people talk about how misunderstood he was, well, I don't think he was synced up No, with the right time. No, he definitely wasn't. He de- I mean, who knows if he was happy, sad, miserable, whatever. I mean, yeah. you just, you can't look at any of that stuff and, and figure that guy out. You know, right. there's no way. Well, to, I mean, and do. from, from outward appearances and from, and from, and I've not, there's a couple of, from what I understand, good uh, bios out on him now. Uh, I, I, you know, it clearly as introverted as he was and just in general, kind of not a public image guy to be as big as he was on a celebrity level must have been a fucking nightmare. Yeah, you know clearly it's why he stayed in. You know, I mean, and you can you can you he just stayed plug, in that warehouse that he and, well you know. <laughs> he stayed in, you know he stayed in fucking Minneapolis. I mean that, that's that's the center of nothing, you know. But the thing is, is the world came to him. Essentially, is what it came down to. And yeah, he was and clearly the biggest thing in Minneapolis. But he wasn't trying to be. You know. First concert I ever saw was a Purple Rain concert. Oh, nice. Um, we were in. I never we saw in, Prince. We were in Los Angeles. I didn't know we were we were supposed to go to the concert. It was supposed to be a secret. So they told me we we're going to see. You remember Rockwell, the guy? Oh I, yeah, somebody's watching, watching me. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Was they, so me. they told they told me we were going to see a Rockwell concert, and I was like, <laughs> okay, I guess <laughs> right. that'll be nice. And um, when we when we went there. I don't know why I did it was like this. the symbol hanging above the stage or something. You're like, wait a second. <laughs> I ruined it. I kind of ruined it for myself because when we, I, I, I was being obstinate for some reason, surprise, surprise. And um, when they, when my mother asked, okay, do you know where we're going? And I said, we're going to see Prince, even though I thought we were going to see Rockwell, I got it wrong on purpose. Like I, I just told her the wrong answer on purpose. And she's like, how did you know that? And I was like, wait, we're going to see Prince. You're like, wait, wait, what? I, I, was, I was joking. <laughs> yeah, I was being an ass, you know? And then we went to see, and then, you know, there was, there was, that was my first, uh, that was a, that was a night of firsts, you know, a lot of drug nice. use in the eighties, you know, um, at the concert, but I saw Sheila E open for him. Nice. And then, and then I watched, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. I bet. It kind of, you know, it's not, not, it shouldn't be your first uh, concert, Prince, because it kind of, it ruins concerts, you know, <laughs> it was, oh. you know, but I've know. seen, I've since seen fantastic concerts, but it yeah. took a while for that, for things to come <laughs> up to that level. Um, well, my first concert was? Which one? What? Kenny Rogers. Iron Maiden. Kenny Rogers is a powerhouse though. So where, when was that? Which which era of Kenny Rogers was that? Uh, nineteen eighty. So you were in gambler territory. Eighty one, eighty two. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. What a song! Yeah. I saw him at the uh, the Wisconsin State Fair. Nice. There was Kenny Rogers. Was like you couldn't, like you couldn't watch anything without hearing about Kenny Rogers. He was enormous. Nobody, yeah. nobody now could could 
can fathom how just preeminent Kenny Rogers was. I remember that. And I wasn't listening to a lot. I knew, I knew tons of Kenny Rogers songs and I wasn't yeah, really it was, even it was a pop yeah. music in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was everywhere. Yeah. You know? It wasn't country then. It was, it was just pop. Uh, what, Latham? what condition what, my what, condition was in. What condition? <laughs> Love that song. Oh my God. That song. It's yeah. a great song. It really is a good Kenny Rogers kills it though with uh, with his version of it. But all right, I'm sorry, Latham. <laughs> no, I saying Supergrass covered it. If you know Supergrass is Steve. Mm-hmm. I I do know Supergrass. They're they're the ones who did uh the song for uh, Justified, right? Or is that is that Supergrass? Oh, I don't know. I think that's Supergrass. All Latham, right. well, Latham, were right. you aware? I, I, just a, a real quick uh, something else I found uh, at the end of last week. Actually, there was a. Uh, I know how big of a Kula Shaker fan you were. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you get the 15th anniversary reissue? The two of, CD of K? I mean, it's we're at 26 years now. All uh, right. So then never mind. Then, yes. I mean, I'm guessing I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know when it came out. I mean, I have every, every song by them, I think. I don't think I'm missing anything. I think I'm missing one live song by them, and that's it. Okay. Uh, but I mean, I would, I would get it if there was stuff on there I didn't have. I'm so behind on collecting CDs. I kind of, as soon as I finished Gordy and not started the new movie, I kind of dipped the money down and spending money on CDs. Plus it's fairly worthless to spend money. on. All right. CDs. So, so the second CD on the 15th anniversary edition uh, has uh some early recordings, some living room demos, and an unreleased single called Slipping Away. I don't have that. Is Red Balloon on there? Nope. Okay, that's the song I've been looking for is Red Balloon. Okay. But I don't have Slipping Away. So. All right. So then I'm guessing uh, that you don't. Oh, Red, Red Balloon is on, is on the, the first CD. Okay, they added it. It's not on the album, but they added it on the first CD. Okay, correct. Uh, there's a few extra tracks, like a remix of Tatva and a uh, an unreleased John Lecky remix of Into the Deep. But then also Red Balloon and Hush are on here as well. Okay, yeah, that that sounds great. Okay. Anyway, uh, go. It, was, it wasn't Supergrass. It was Gangster Grass. I apologize. Oh, Gangster Grass. <laughs> gangster. Some other some other grass. <laughs> Yeah, Close but enough. Gangsta Grass is the ones who did the the theme song for Justified, um, um, and a couple of other songs oh, that, okay. that have been featured in the in the show. Gotcha, um, gotcha. So I all right. That's it. Also, new albums uh, on the on the thing. New albums also from this year from Faithless and oh, Groove Armada. I, and who? Groove Armada. Oh my god, I'm so behind. Yeah, new mu- music is like I'm just com- completely out of. Out of oh yeah, I can't. Yeah, I'm. I'm so out of sync. This is like I usually a couple times a year I'll sit down and I'll just try and go through stuff to try and find as best I can, either you know, new deluxe editions which contain a bunch of other stuff. Usually the live tracks which I don't even bother with because I, I fucking hate live music. Listening to it <laughs> if I'm if I'm not at a concert, You're not there. I don't. The only literally the only live saw a live album I keep on my on my uh, my album archive uh, is the Eagles live. That's the only is that live. The, is that their reunion one? The one that did no, the original or... Eagles live album from oh. 70, uh, 75 or seventy six, whenever it was. Yeah, maybe seventy seven. 
I tell you that story, right? About the Eagles, the history of the Eagles, the the, yes. the documentary. Oh, um, so perfect. Yeah. But the the I told you the downside about that documentary. The upside is like it was such a revelation of how many fucking Eagle songs there were. You yeah. Know? Like Jesus Christ, they did that, and they did that, and they did that. <laughs> like yeah, you know, the Eagles is not a joke, and it's funny because I remember the Hell Freezes Over tour when they came when they when they got back together, and that was kind of my MTV era. And I'm like the Eagles. Who the hell are the Eagles? I never heard of these guys. You know, That's like funny. what what's such a big deal about them? And then you listen to it, it's like oh, oh, they provided the soundtrack from my childhood. That's all. <laughs> you know? That's all. I get it now. Also, Lathan, there's a new deluxe version of No Need to Argue by the Cranberries, but the second CD is just demos and live tracks. Um, I think, and I you know, and you know, there's a new Erasure album this year as well. Yeah, yeah. Neon. I mean, I didn't know about Faithless. That's the most exciting thing. Yeah, because they haven't done an album in like ten years. Uh, I mean, they're they're. I got to see them once live at a festival in England. They were oh nice. Uh, 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 just they're one of my all time print. They're they're favorites. they are definitely one of the least known bands from from that period. Let's uh, let's jump right into to Raymond's uh, Raymond's pick for his uh, his film his main film, and that is the Seventh Seal. From Ingmar Bergman, with a running time of 96 minutes. A weary knight challenges death to a game of chess while pondering some of life's deeper questions and trying to avoid the Black Plague as he makes his way home from the Crusades. Raymond? Yes, sir. Why did, why did you bring us The Seventh Seal? Well, I would say it's one of my five favorite movies of all time. Okay. Uh, when I was teaching film history uh, in college, I, which I did for over a decade, uh, I would show this film every semester. I first saw it when I was in uh, when I was a freshman in college. It was Austin, Texas, uh, University of Texas, and it was playing on on campus. And I had a friend in the drama department uh, that I'd actually just met, really. And and he said, "Hey, the Seven Seals playing. Have you seen it?" And I went, "No." In fact, I you know I'd never seen any Bergman. I, I don't even think I'd seen many foreign films. And um, he said, "Oh, you got to go. It's great." You know, so we went and. <laughs> I swear it just totally mesmerized me. And when it was over, I was, I was stunned and I just kind of walked out and my friend and I talked about it for hours afterwards. It, you know, it was kind of like, you know, the way I felt after 2001. Um, and I've seen it many, many times since. And uh, I just think it's, it's very profound. It's, uh, it, but it's also very funny uh, it's got a lot of humor in it, especially, you know, the first time it you does. see it, first time you see it, you might think, you know, oh, this is really serious, <laughs> you know, but the humor come really comes out the more you see this movie. And uh, there's some, there's some really funny parts in it. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, I think it's one of Bergman's best, if, if, if not the best, uh, it's certainly a quintessential Bergman film. Uh, and, you know, I started really looking into Ingmar Bergman after that and, and seeing everything I could, everything I could devour by this guy. And he instantly became one of my favorite directors. And I was so glad when last year the Criterion Collection put out, you know, a massive box set of his movies, many of which I had seen, but there were a few that I had not yet seen, some of the more obscure ones. And um, 
I just, you know, I just, it, 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 it continues to blow me away. I, I really like it. And, you know, it also you know, launched the career of Max von Sydow. That was his first movie. Um, and uh, there's some other actors in it that are, that are in a lot of Bergman movies. You know, B.B. Anderson and uh, the, the guy that played the squire, Gunnar Bjornstrand. He, had, he was in the most Bergman movies of any actor. Uh, and he, pl- he plays all kinds of roles. He was a terrific actor. He was one of Sweden's greatest actors. He's kind of like the Robert De Niro of Sweden. But we don't hardly know who he is here in America. But uh, unless, right. you, unless you were, you know, into Bergman, you wouldn't know who Gunnar, Gunnar Bjornstrand was. But he was, he was amazing. Um, so, yeah, that's why I like it. Hassan, had you seen this? No. I've never seen it. Okay, so, and, so you and, and sadly, I sadly, not... I still haven't because I thought it was a seventh sign, and that's what I watched. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm only kidding. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. he I'm... lathemed us. He lathemed <laughs> I'm very us. sorry. <laughs> it's a very cheap joke, but I'm very sorry. Ah, uh, they're about a king. And it's okay because that's a super entertaining movie as well. Yeah, but I mean, I'd be, as soon as someone <laughs> mentions Ingmar Bergman, I'd be like, wait, what? As soon as he <laughs> brought up black and white, you'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> um, no, but I had. I had never seen it. I had, and I had okay. no idea. It was I kept, um, I kept looking for different versions of it because I had no idea it was originally a, a foreign language film. You know, so it was. Uh, so I was like, wow, I keep, you know, I keep getting these, I keep getting these foreign versions of the film. It's. I'm sorry. It's. I shouldn't be mentioning that. Well, <laughs> it makes me funny, sound like a moron. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like we, you know, I mean, listen, our generation knows von Sydow for Exorcist. Yeah, and you know, a lot of movies later on in his career, but all his early films are all Swedish. Yeah, it's very so funny it, though. Know, I recognized him immediately. Like it wasn't even like, oh, hey, yeah, that's come on, you know, yeah. yeah. But I mean, even though he does look very different as a young yeah. man, but there's still kind of strikingness. Well, that in his, and that in his eyes, mean, yeah. Even well, though his voice the, the long, is hard the long to... head. You know, he's got such yeah. a long head. Yes, he does. I, you, you would. You can't mistake him, you know, and uh, I'll say before before we actually go into it, I was kind of annoyed that it was a uh, that was in uh, Swedish. Why for? And I just I didn't feel like reading the movie and, you know, whatever. Aww. But that lasted maybe seven minutes, you know, and it's still not. Well, that, I mean, that's the thing it, about foreign language films, subtitled movies after about five minutes, like you said, it becomes automatic you don't yeah. you don't realize you're reading the movie well, if you're really it, into the movie but it was the movie itself it was just the strikingness of the you know i think it was i think the whole the whole film for me is like the expression the the look that uh that saito gives death you know it's like oh you're here for me you know it's kind of almost a casual he's almost happy to see him you know like he's been expecting it and um that whole dynamic between the two of them was just like, all right, this is, this is pretty captivating. So, you know, and I'll stop there because we're not going into it just yet. Uh, no, because uh, you're going to go first. Oh man. That's right. <laughs> Hassan. <laughs> this really powerful film. It kind of goes in these like really strange tangents that you think are going to go somewhere but they don't really go anywhere, but then they do go somewhere. It's really, it's really a strange, uh, strange narrative. Like these, these side characters that you meet and, 
he's really strange. There's like a, I don't know, I'm not going to say really strange again. Um, these, these odd uh, intricacies in their, in their dynamics between each other and how, uh, how Von Steido and, and his squire just kind of pass through, you know, and end up picking up some of these, uh, some of these characters on, on their journey that seems like it, I think it's appropriately feels doomed you know, when, you know, just, just in the end of how when you the, start the off meeting started. death. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying, I mean, like I, you pretty much know where it's going, but you just don't know, like, you don't know what's going to be there when they get there, you know, like you don't know, you, you know, basically, okay, this is, they're not going to win the whole, the theme of the story is you're not going to beat death. It kind of, it, it, it almost leans on like uh, Saito having deep contemplation about life in and of in, in and of itself while he's you know dueling death, but it doesn't really lean on that too much. You know, it it kind of he kind of becomes a side character very quickly, like this, and he's like this really amazing looming presence that doesn't have to say a lot just to to be present in the in the yeah in just, the story, just standing there. Yeah. yeah, and I mean the most reflection he has is when he when he catches up with the acting troupe and they're, they're eating uh, strawberries and milk, which really sounds good by the way. Um, and he, and he, that's, that's the most reflective he gets in the story about his, uh, you know, like his wife and the, the, you know, actually it was moving the kind of the way he, the way he reflected oh, yeah. on it, you know, and he's you know, reflecting on it being a really good time and, a really good thing, and he was like, there's a doomy quality to all of it. And actually, but I but I say this after the fact. Um, the only the only couple that doesn't seem doomed are the the, the only couple that survived. It does they they seem more um, to me. They they seem to shine a little more than everybody else. Like they, but there's a little more optimism to them than everybody else. I don't know if I'm reading that incorrectly or if I'm. I think uh, you're right. I'm backpedaling because I because I know how it all turned out. The only the only thing I misinterpreted in the film is when he goes to confession and it turns out to be death that he's confessing to. <laughs> I thought that he knew that was death right away. I didn't realize no, that. No, yeah, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. And so the scene had a had a more um, kind of ironic quality to it to me when I thought that he knew who he was talking to and he was, he was being, he was being ironic cause he, you know, and then, and that death was being ironic back with him and the, the conversation. So the, the conversation seems, seemed a lot more stirring than it actually was when Saito was like, Hey, you tricked me. You know, I didn't know you were dead, but that was, that's, and that's not really a complaint. That's just a, that was a misread on my part, but, and then, yeah, that, that sad scene in the, in the tavern with the, with the actor, and he realizes that he's in, he's for some reason he is he's been singled out to be uh abused by all these people i guess is is that metaphoric for the are those oh, all well, doomed, in, doomed people in those days actors were the lo- you know one of the yeah. lowest forms of you know workers you know the same way in shakespeare's time you know it was yeah. like you know actors yeah, were like traveling. you know scum they were like uh <laughs> no I was gonna make you a scum. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna make a comparison, but I don't want to go on record saying that comparison is scum. So I'm not gonna make my comparison. That, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, take it. Yeah. I'll gladly. Take it. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> um, 
Well, that was that that kind of that scene was pretty sad, you know. When he, I think, when it dawns on him that he's he's about to be, you know, potentially killed by all these people, you know, just for for being there. Really, there's a lot of moving moments in the in the story that you just kind of get. And it's funny when you after you've seen it, I'm 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 kind of I feel like I'm rambling right now. After you've seen it, you forget that you had to that you read it. You forget that you that it was in another language, and you think that. You you oh, yeah. you associate the whole thing as though you everyone was speaking the your your language and you could hear the emotions in there, and there were even though I don't understand a word of Swedish. Um, yeah, it was. I I just recently watched a movie called uh, uh, Things to Come. Oh, uh, the the science fiction movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. from thirty six, nineteen thirty six. Oh, and, and yeah, I, I like I, that. I put this in its ca- in the same category of not not the not talking about the caliber of film or whatever, but just the same category of me really discovering uh, how, how visually amazing a lot of these movies are. Um, and there's, there's a, there's a kind of a lost quality. I, I just think the, the sequence in the, in the confessional, I think, first of all, the, the, the death character in and of itself was, you know, just pitch perfect. And that, that strange, uh, ironic smirk that he has on his face you know the whole time uh and it's it's not it's neither taunting nor menacing it's just kind of a knowing like yeah this is just you know this is just my job man you know you're not gonna get away and you know this this is this is momentarily amusing but you know for a fact that you're not you know um this, this you know how this game is kind gonna go what i do yeah <laughs> i just you have no idea how many of these games i've played with you know yeah, ahead, you sorry. can see it when, when he's cutting down the tree with a with, with the the bad actor, you know the the, the yeah. mean actors up in the tree, and he's going. Well, he's trying to argue with him. Don't I get a reprieve? And blah, blah, blah. he's no, no, you know. Uh, yeah. he's, he's very <laughs> playful with. It. Yeah, and it's just it's kind of a it's a it's like a, the FedEx driver, you know, like he's trying to find the humor in it in a, in a routine <laughs> job, you know. That this is just this. There's no personal. There's nothing personal about it. Don't just drop this package off, you know. And that's just that's the simplicity of it. Uh, wow. I, the only thing I can say is wow. It's a it's an amazing film. I have to watch it several more times to really figure out what it says to me. Particularly, you know, I know the movie in and of itself says, but it it's it spoke to me in a way, but I, in a way I don't quite understand yet. Um, and so I would be doing it. I would be kind of misspeaking if I tried to talk about it on that context. Um, it's a sad story that doesn't actually convey sadness, which is very strange to me. Um, it's visually powerful. Um, the subject matter, it doesn't, it really doesn't play any games with you. The subject matter is pretty straightforward. You know, it starts out in the very beginning and, uh, you know, sets up the stakes in the very beginning without a lot of, uh, you know, without a, a lot of rambling and, and ambling about and trying to, you know, set up narrative and world build and all that other weird stuff that's become the norm in, in modern movies. Uh, I would say it's lean, but it's really heavy in a lot of places. So I, it's, I don't really know how to, I don't know how to contextualize it. It's just really powerful stuff. Um, and I need to watch it a number of uh, a number more times, but the the experience that I had with it in this go round 
was really profound and very positive. I, I, I very much enjoyed it. Um, and I appreciate your picking it because I, I, I'd never even heard of it before, much less seen it. So never heard well, of it. Really? No, I, I think, it. I think, wow. I think you are a Bergman fan. <laughs> and you need to start seeing some more Bergman. And, you know, definitely his films a lot do there. require more than one viewing. Uh, but I I think he's a, he's a genius. So, yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Well, I can see his genius. Like, there's no, that's not even in question. It's a, it's amazing. And then on, on top of it, Max von Sydow. I mean, Jesus Christ. You know, on top of all of his other Literally. stuff. Literally. He, he played <laughs> Jesus Christ. Right? Yes, yes. <laughs> but he just so, you know, he's. He's, I can, you can see in this film why he became a movie star, you know? Like, oh, yeah. it's just like this guy, this camera just loves, even when he's off in the corner, all the way on the, in the corner with his hood yeah. on, on a horse, you can see your eye goes right to him, you know? And it's a squire who takes up most of the, he chews most of the scenery. He's still a, only secondary to Von Sydow, who has very little dialogue. He doesn't, see, doesn't even really have to speak to convey anything. I felt like the Squire was a, was a Swedish Ray Stevenson. <laughs> Without the funny. Yeah, well, he, had a bit of, he, he had a bit of the funny as well. A little he bit. Like, he, oh, he, had the, all the, the, he had all the funny lines. Yeah. That's, you know, and he was um, brutal. You know, he was, uh, yeah. he's, he's, well, he was matter of fact. Yeah. He, yeah. He, you know, Brooke, no his, nonsense. Word was his, his word was his word. Yeah. You know, and I, that, that's one of the things I really dug about it. Uh, Latham? Um, <clears throat> I saw this movie first time in film study in high school, uh, senior year, and liked it then uh, a lot, uh, probably because I was excited to get into making films myself. Then I saw it again in college, still liked it. So I haven't seen it since uh, until I saw it yesterday. I, I, I'm with Hassan in a sense that, you know, I read a, a little bit on Bergman I'm, and I'm still a little perplexed by some of the themes he's trying to bring forth here at, at times in the movie, he comes across as very, um, I think atheistic. And then, but then you read about it and you read about what's going on in the main themes of the film and you realize that's not the case. So I think there's like a back and forth going on there or some kind of tug of war with themes or maybe I just didn't get it. I don't know. Uh, maybe Raymond can shed light on that. But um, yeah, Raymond, you want to shed light on that, actually? What do you well, think? Uh, I, Bergman himself was an atheist. His father, though, was a preacher. He was a, a you know, a, a, a minister, a very strict Protestant minister in Sweden. And um, he, he would, you know, uh, punish young Ingmar for, you know, small transgressions and lock him in a dark closet and stuff like that. And so, you know, Bergman really rebelled against the church. And a lot of his films, you know, put forth the question of, is there a God? But I think The Seventh Seal is such a, such a movie that you can appreciate it whether or not, uh, whether you're an atheist or whether you're religious. I think because I I think, you know, you can interpret it either way. You can go either way with it, depending on what you think. And, you know, I mean, because death is in, in both versions of religion, right? <laughs> you know, right, we yeah, all die, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no matter what you believe. So death it's is going to be in both versions yeah. of, of, your, of, of, of the path. <laughs> yeah. Death is, any, any death is not religion idea. specific. No. Yeah. Any human's idea of 
what they believe ends at death. So yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter how you perceive it, but this film is unique in that, like you said, you can really, you, you can watch it one of two ways or watch it both ways at the same time and see the uh, tug of war between the point of views. Uh, so maybe I, maybe I did get it right. Yeah. There's a, there's, um, one, there's a key, there's a key line where, uh, it's toward the end when, uh, I think it's right after, uh, uh, the final chess game when, uh, the, 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 the couple in the wagon finally get off away, away from them. Right, right. And, uh, death tells Max von Cito, next time we meet is it, you know? And, yes. and he says, then will you tell me your secrets? And death looks at him like, there are no secrets. Yeah, that's it. That, that, you know. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of finality. Hate to spring this one on you. Yeah. There's a lot of finality to a lot of the little storylines in this, and it, there's like I, I don't know how to explain it. There's a there's a pallor that hangs over the whole film, and yet the film is not really dark. It's very bright at times, and a lot of the scenes are you know take place in in daylight and are, are lit really well and i thought that was an interesting dynamic that you know you can pull off something on such a dark subject but have the movie be uh you know just bright even though you're showing things that you know like an almost rape uh a branding of somebody all kinds of stuff so i i thought that was interesting are, are most of his films in black and white or did did he prefer that or well, they were all in black and white until the until the 70s and then it, they were all in color so he, he did he just did it because of convenience he didn't like he didn't make a black and white film after he switched to color no he did not no well okay. actually way late in the 80s his uh second to last feature was he made it in black and white oh okay he, he what was that it was called From the Life of the Marionettes. Okay. And his last feature, it Fanny wasn't and, Fanny, Fanny and Alexander. Yeah, Fanny and Alexander. Okay. Which is one of his, absolutely one of his best. Wow. If, if, I, if any of you want to see another Bergman film, see Fanny and Alexander. Because it, be it'll just blow you away. Yeah. Plus, he, yeah, he, he, he seems, he seems to have a, you know, like you can already tell, I've only seen this film of his. I haven't seen any others. And you can already tell his signature from watching this. Um, and I'm sure his stuff has been compared to, po you know, visual poetry and just, just the way it, there's just an ease about how he tells the story and how he, you know, goes about with his intent of his themes. And, you know, I, I, I still like it as, as much as I did when I saw it a long time ago, I just have a different point of view on it now. And that probably is a testament to the film itself that it can affect me, you know, 30 years ago when I was in high school and then in college and now watching it for this podcast, it, it remains, you know, powerful. And each time it was probably a different type of powerful, a different way of reaching me. So, um, uh, yeah, it's it, it it's one of those films that it's going to be hard for people in this day and age that aren't film fans to access or to to take the time to watch. But I think once you sit down and you get you get get uh, used to the subtitles, if you you'll you'll just you know you'll you'll feel it as you go all the way through. So uh, yeah. I'm a big fan of it. I liked it a lot. Well, good. You know, it, it's it's a movie that's been parodied a lot too. 
and whenever whenever a movie like this gets parodied, you know that it it means something that it's uh, that it has a oh, place yeah. in culture. Uh, that uh, you know, I mean, look how you know Woody Allen parodied it. Uh, Bill and Ted's yeah, Bill and Ted. Journey. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, it's Monty Python. Oh yeah, All on multiple it. levels. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And it's that's what you know. That's the uh, uh, what's the what's the quote? What's the highest form of flattery? Uh, imitation. Imitation. Yeah, imitation yeah. is the highest form of flattery. So it's. Uh, it's a must see if you're a lover of film. I think if you're like into movies, if you're like one of those people listening to this podcast right now and you think you're into movies and you think, you know, more than me, Steve Hassan and Raymond. <laughs> but if you haven't seen seven seal, you got to take yourself off the list, man. Till you see that movie. <laughs> it's that simple. Well, I, you know, Bergman is just one of those filmmakers that I think any lover of cinema needs to know. Uh, just like, I mean, just like Fellini or Truffaut or Kurosawa or, you know, Hitchcock or Houston or Kubrick or, you know, Coppola or whatever, you know, whoever you're going to name. Those guys, the foreign guys, do belong in that same barrel, <laughs> you know, so. I mean, he's one you got to see at least one film of, you know, like a, like a Lynch or a Kubrick or, a, you know, Kurosawa or whatever. I mean, he's, he's a he's a auteur and he's yep. done so many relevant things. And this is probably a good jumping off point, I would say. Yeah. It's uh, it's really strange. These films are almost immediately recognizable as important or as powerful more. So I would say, and this might be a prejudice on my part, more so than modern films, just there, there are certain there's, there's just a certain style or quality to them that's just immediately wow this is like what i'm looking at is very important i don't even know why it's important but what i'm seeing is very important you know i keep coming back to especially with this film and, and trying to reflect on it i keep coming back to this that the simplicity of the scene on the beach and max von Sydow, you know looking through his his you know his things or his bags you don't really know what's happened you just get the impression that they just washed up on shore and, yeah, that uh, is kind of just odd. It, yeah, it just it's just there, but you kind of, you know, it it it's so lean, you know, in and it's just look, this is just the situation here, and this, you know, at this particular point, this particular person got his first impressions that he is, you know, that his life is coming to an end, right? And I'm reading it. Um, well, you're not reading because there's not a lot of dialogue. There's no the the first piece of dialogue is Max von Sydow asking Death if he's come for him. But there's something very strange about him. His, he looks up, the expression on his face. He's happy to see who he's who's there. Or I I read it as happy or amused to some extent. And then they show Death, and you know he's Death immediately. Like it doesn't. <laughs> Like, you know, I mean, like, I already, I, I know he's dressed in black. I get it. But I mean, you don't even a walk on the damn. No, beach. but I mean, you don't. I, I'm, I'm just saying it's amazing that the film doesn't didn't feel the need to really explain what's happening. Now, in the course of the dialogue that they have with each other, you, if you didn't figure it out immediately from the, the first image that then their their ensuing conversation will tip you off that. Oh, OK, this is 
this is a this, this is a heavy discussion between these two people. This is, this is the guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, but, that that image that that imagery of death has been in paintings and you know since the since the t- the time that this play takes place since right, the Dark right. Ages, you know, death has been portrayed in you know these woodcuts and uh, stained glass windows and paintings just like that. You know, yeah. Uh, so that's where we got that that what, imagery. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just think that there's something. I think that the power of the imagery in and of itself, the photography of it, is is just it's a it's kind of lost. I I can't remember seeing something that striking. Well, Bergman had two two great cinematographers. The first half of his career, including this guy, was Gunnar Fischer, fantastic, and he was really great with black and white. Then he had Sven Nyqvist. You've heard. I hope you've heard of Sven yeah. Nyqvist, who's won two Oscars. Uh, he started working with Sven Nyqvist in 1960, and and that was his cinematographer from then on. And he he's fantastic. I mean, my gosh, he, he's unbelievably good. So they were both really. You know, Bergman had two really great cinematographers working with him the entire time. So that helps. <laughs> One last thing, too, I meant to say is that I'm a big fan, especially now, of uh, minimalistic films. And this one is, like, really minimalistic. But but like Hassan said, it's lean. It used everything it shows you is important. But it's not, you know, it's not overdone and there's not too much there. I, I really like... Yeah, I think he shot shot the film in like two locations, studio and then on in by where they did the the dance scene and the beat scene and that's it. And I yeah. I, I like that a lot. There's a lot lot there for for yeah. a small use. Yeah, he basically went out into the 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 woods behind the studio and that's, you know, he he recreated the dark ages with, you know, with some wagons and some wood and some, you know, costuming <laughs> and some fire and, <laughs> you know, and you believe it. I mean, how many movies can you, can you name that take place in the dark ages? Uh, there's a few, but not many. I mean, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Monty Python and the Holy the Grail. It's time to recommend this movie. Yeah. What's going on in real life, folks? Uh, it, Monty it Python does- and uh, probably the Excalibur. The board, yeah, I guess, yeah, Excalibur, yeah, anything um, with King Arthur is supposedly the Dark Ages, so yeah, exactly. It's fantasy Dark Ages, though. Yeah. Um, and then, and then Kingdom of Heaven, yeah, that's about wow. No, there's more than that. I just can't think there's of any, yeah, yeah, I just can't think of any through my own modern eyes and uh, complete lack of fancy film tongue watching this now for the first time. This this falls into the category of a, a couple of different things. One, I don't care when the movie was made. I don't care what it's in black and white. I don't care whether or not it's subtitled. You know a good movie when you see it. And this is a good movie. You know, it's, you know, like you said, it's lean. It's, it's, it's well shot, as Latham pointed out. It's nice to look at. I like the pace of the film, you know, going in and knowing it's only an hour and a half long. You know, it doesn't rush to anything. Uh, and at times, there are parts of it that feel almost languid, which is part of that the, the European filmmaking style at the time, which was very unlike American filmmaking, visually and pace-wise. Uh, they didn't rush to get anywhere. They weren't in any great hurry. And it, 
you know, but still there's never any time during the film that felt like they were being languid. You know, it didn't, it didn't felt like they were being lazy with time and hanging on shots too long or, or anything like that. This felt, as I was watching it, it felt like, you know, and it's, and it's hard, you know, it, it's hard coming into a film that came out 70 years ago, 60, 70 years ago Holy now at this shit. point. Wow, I can't at, believe that. At this point, 60 years ago. Nuts. Uh, 1957. It's hard to, yeah, because yeah, yeah. Von Seidel just died this year mm-hmm. at yeah. 90. So it's hard to not see all the stuff that I'm familiar with in this film or a lot of visual things and storytelling things you see and you have to stop and go, well, wait a second. This is probably where a lot of these guys got their ideas from, you know, cause honestly watching this uh, about halfway through, I started to get a real sense or a very similar sense uh, of when I'm watching an Altman film or uh, a lot of uh, Pete Paul Thomas Anderson films where you've got this assembly of characters and you sort of see them all in these different variations and various spaces and everything. And eventually they all come together or the, the narrative all ties back together. Night neat and clean at the end. And there's a little knot and there's your story. And I, and I really enjoyed it from that aspect. Um, Cause I'm obviously a fan of those two filmmakers anyway. It's interesting Visually, this came out the same year as um, Hidden Fortress from Kurosawa. And it's interesting to see, you know, when you think about other black and white films that came out around the same time as this year, Touch of Evil, um, even The Fly, Vertigo. It's really interesting to look at just, and again, this comes back to the storytelling part of it, you know, how different this was. And I, I can't imagine being familiar with film of that era and then coming in and sitting down and getting this, you know, dropped in front of you. And you're just kind of like, wow, okay, this is, this is, you know, and, and, you know, as Monty Python says now for something completely different. And yet you still know at the end when the lights come up that you've just seen a great film. It's really, it's really odd. You know, that, that moment that Hassan was talking about where Von Sydow sits with the, with the group, on the, on the hillside and they have their little break and he gets his sort of cathartic moment that allows him to be able to move on at the end. And, you know, after he manages to distract death long enough for the family to get away, I I just, you know, Hassan really nailed it. Uh, That, that movement, that moment is something I've seen in films my whole life and yet not films like this. So it's like you have to wonder, is this the first time, again, the first time a scene like this is being sort of put out in front of the viewing public? It's amazing how many how many kind of, you know, potential firsts, you know, I'm, I, I don't I don't claim to be this great font of film knowledge and history. Uh, I know what I like. I know what I don't like. Uh, it doesn't necessarily always jive with everyone else's. This was this was a great movie. This was uh, this was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, after everything I've heard, you know, and you you know, there's always that list of films that you always hear about and you've never seen because I mean, and in my case, I should say, just because you've never had an opportunity or you've never you know you've never been the right time to sit down and watch. 
Um, this is definitely one of those films. It's one of those that, you know, if people like cinema, you know, they should see stuff like this. I re this is, you know, we recently did a, a thing, uh, Raymond, where we talked about, uh, we had went through a whole list of films, you know, and when one of the questions on a list it was we went through uh, was what film, what was a film that you wish you could have seen in the time when it came out, you know, as opposed to seeing it later. For me, I picked Citizen Kane. Uh, but I think that this film as well would be one I would have would have been really interested in seeing when it came out to to see the effect, you know, to feel the effect of it at the time it came out with what I knew of Hollywood filmmaking at that time. You know, now with, again, 60 years of of film of Hollywood filmmaking and evolution and coming back and seeing it, I can recognize it. It's a great movie. But I feel that definitely some of the effect of it is lost on me just simply because it's not that I'm, it's not that I'm not open to it. I just think that, you know, you know, it's like, like Hassan talks about Blade Runner. Uh, he says that, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, how do you say that Hassan where it's, where it doesn't hold the same, it doesn't hold the same effect to you because you saw a lot of the stuff that's in Blade Runner before you saw Blade Runner. That, that's exactly it. It just uh, it didn't have the impact, you know, because right. of and I feel and I feel like that this film seeing it now doesn't have the impact on me that it would have had had I seen it much earlier in my film viewing my own film viewing evolution. That being said, it's a great movie. You still you, you still get I mean, it's not a big consolation prize, but you still get the you still get the revelation of discovery, you know, oh, at sure. this point. Absolutely. But that's about all that's about as close as it comes to to it being when you know about or at least know enough about film and film criticism and film theory and that you have you know you can any any guy who knows film can can sort of come up with a short list of what people consider to be some of the best films ever made you know and i i i, I feel like seven seal is always on one of the on those lists of you know probably in in most people's top tens you know and i just feel like it doesn't, it didn't have that sort of effect on me. You know, I still liked it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I, 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 you know, I would, I, I would argue that I liked this possibly actually more than 2001, especially upon the review of 2001. Yeah, this was interesting. And it does, it does make you want to go back and, and review more of his work uh, well, just to see, just to I'll see kind doing. of what else. Yeah. Just to see what else he was doing. I guess I, for me, it's kind of like picking up a, a book uh like foreign language book and realizing you can understand it and now and now <laughs> and now a whole new world of of ideas is open because you've you know you wow. just um just because this is this is the first like it's not the first i i i'm saying this all wrong this is one of this this is one <laughs> of the the few like genuine impressions that i've that i've gotten from imagery you know, like there's just moving imagery. Like this is a, a film, like people talk about like film and, you know, the you know, film fanatics and, um, right. And the artistry of, 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 uh, photography or whatever. And this is one of the first, one of the, uh, and I, and I include, uh, um, things to come cause it's just, it's a stunning film in appearance and it just, it, all by itself it's a it's a little less um it, it's a little less 
uh, intricate than the seventh seal, in my opinion. The seventh seal is just really tongue in cheek. It's like very sly storytelling without without um, without hitting any nails on the head, even though it is it is being completely honest with you at the same time. And the seven, the, 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 excuse me, the things to come is, is, um, is not so much that it's, it's fantastic in its own way, but it's not so much that there's not a lot of intricacy in the storytelling. Um, but those two films in particular this year, this, like when people talk about artistry of, of, of cinema and, uh, and photography, now I understand what that means. You know, there are other films that I love uh, that, you know, it's been more modern films that it runs the gambit. My, my catalog is enormous, but I, you, but I love them for, for various reasons that, you know, don't really have a lot to do with cinema. They don't have a lot to do with, um, with filmmaking in and of itself. I love them for the writing and the storytelling. Uh, sometimes you love them for the acting. Sometimes you love, uh, it's, you know, for the spectacle, special effects, that kind of thing. But this is just, this is just photography, you know, um, putting it in the, in the most rudimentary way I can think of. This is just, the imagery is just uh, astonishing to me, you know? I just don't get tired of looking at it, like, you know? Like, that's one of the only drawbacks to it being a film you have to read because I feel like anytime I have to watch a subtitled film, I feel like I'm gonna miss stuff visually. Yeah. That that's the only drawback that I can really say about it is I just feel like that impact is somewhat lessened, you know, yeah. by by the fact that you have to look at the bottom of the screen and and get back up before that changes. Yeah. I think Raymond's right though. You, you, you just adapt to it after like five or 10 minutes. You're, you're, I, you still have to read stuff. You are, but you're reading it. You're reading it. Like, I don't know. Your mind is like trained to read it. And, still- and listen, I, I read very quickly. I don't, I don't feel like I ever lose a lot watching a foreign film, but I know people who don't read as quickly as I do. I don't consume information that way. And it's like, I know people who, who have a hard time watching subtitled films and it's just kind of given up on subtitled films because of that fact. Cause it's like, they're like, they get halfway through, you know, they get a, a halfway or two third or only through the first sentence of a thing conversation. And, and then it goes and the next one comes up, you know, and, and they all of a sudden, you know, 10 minutes into the movie, they have no clue what's going on. You know, know. and it's, uh, sure. I'm just saying I, that's without watching a film a number of times, I feel like that's, that's one of the drawbacks to it, it from that standpoint. Um, again, here, because of the pace, I don't feel like that's the case with this film. I don't feel like there's ever any scenes that are so dialogue heavy and moving so quickly that you can't get a sense of everything that's happening, both visually and and with the, with the dialogue you have to pick up. Um, Max von Sydow, eventually, this was his first role with, with Bergman, and he would go on to play uh, in 13 more films, or I'm sorry, 12 more films, uh, for Ingrid Ber- or Ingrid, Ingrid, <laughs> Ingrid, Ingrid Bergman, Ingrid later. Bergman. Ingmar Bergman, no relation. Um, if you had that guy on your roster of of potential, oh. yeah, wouldn't you use him as much as humanly possible? Yeah, be, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's funny. I was reading an interview with him where he said where he said that uh, he didn't think that any of the roles were ever written for him. <laughs> Yeah. but he he was just felt like he was lucky to you know to have you know to get what he get what he got and you know he liked uh, working with him um the film just prior to this 
which is a Swedish film called Rattan Atataska, uh, The Right to Love. What do you mean just prior to this that he directed? The Max von Sydow performed in his oh, okay. role, just pri- the film he did just prior to this one. Okay. He played a character named Bergman. <laughs> okay. Obviously, I thought, I thought Bergman, I'm sorry, Lisa, that was that was a little that, yeah, well, that wasn't funny or quippy enough for you. I'm sorry you thought that I was going for something serious. I thought uh, Seven Seal was his first film. Uh, no, I think it's his fourth, actually. Hmm. Interesting. I did not know well, that. You must have bizarro Wikipedia in front of you. Oh, uh, you're right. Uh, uh, you're right. Uh, you are right. He made. Uh, he, he did make a couple more films before then. Yeah, yeah. this yeah, was I, the I, first I, relevant film he made. Yeah, you're moving, <laughs> the the you're moving the goalposts. You moving the goalposts, Latham. And that's another horrible thing, thing how, to say. <laughs> how great of a name is Antonius Block? I know. Yeah. Come on, that's, you, that's the... I used to use that name playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. And they, people probably had no clue unless they were playing with a bunch of other you know. film guys. <laughs> um, the character always died. <laughs> just a couple, a couple other bits about Mac von Sydow. I found one, one that'll uh, that that, uh, that Hassan will definitely appreciate. So the girl that uh, the squire picks up that he saves from being raped and who, yes. has, who, who doesn't have a line until the end of the film. Right. Gunnell, Gunnell Lindblom. She's in a lot of his, she's in a lot of Bergman movies. And this was her first, this was her first one too. She was Isabella Vanger in the Swedish uh-huh. girl with the dragon tattoo. Oh, oh my Isn't God. Yeah. I wouldn't have. Uh... I know. Me, me, I totally had no clue. Um, nice nice and uh also max von sydow is the uncredited voice of vigo the carpathian from ghostbusters 2 that's um i think i heard that you can hear it now that you know it yep exactly (laughs) vigo (laughs) (laughs) that's an underrated film (laughs) that's about right rated i think (laughs) um did, did, uh, I want to bring up B.B. Anderson, the blonde. Uh, yes. you know, she, she She's absolutely gorgeous in this movie. You know, this was one of her early movies. I thought her and, both her and the mute girl were, were both uh, yeah. very attractive. Yeah, well, B.B. Anderson goes on to make a lot of films with Bergman, yeah. but also she made Hollywood movies too, you know, and she, she became, you know, fairly well-known in the West. Uh, <laughs> um, so... Um, he died last year. Yeah, she did. But Bergman, you know, has a reputation of of being the best, the greatest director of women. Uh, and throughout his career, he's had several actresses that he focuses on, and she they make you know a few films with him, and they're all spectacular. You know, like Lee Ullman, for example. She she yeah. was like the last, oh, the yeah. last, the last great actress that he worked with. You know, in the later films. She's she's unbelievable in his films. You know, she's really, really good. Uh, B.B. Anderson. Uh, there was one in the early 50s called Harriet Anderson, who was re- very, very good. Uh, Ingrid Thulin, uh, or Thulin, was uh, also terrific. So, yeah, there's it's he had uh, he had a lot of talent, Bergman. I mean, and, and the thing is, he writes all of his movies, too. You know, he, everyone yeah. he writes. So he really is an auteur. He, he writes, directs. 
Um, and the thing is, you know, he was a stage director mostly. He, he always said, uh, theater is my wife and film is my mistress. <laughs> you know, because he he was like the director of the National Theater of Sweden, and oh, uh, so he, he he was directing plays all year round, and then in the summer he'd go make a movie. Yeah, uh, I I was unsurprised to see when I found out that he had adapted this from a moment of his own stage plays because mm-hmm. there are parts of this that feel very stage production. Yeah, um, and so that you know that we're not lost uh in in the transition of him um, moving this to a uh to a film screenplay mm-hmm. but uh but yeah this was uh this was a good pick this was a a great chance to see a um you know one of the great films and uh and to have a chance to chat out about that it. way though it always starts out like what am i, what am I watching and then <laughs> you know about maybe five minutes later it's like oh <laughs> That's, well, again, that's why we're and, watching and, this, you know. And, and, and a great film is going to be a great film, no matter what, no matter when. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I just, it just, I just have to stop forgetting that, you know. That's that's what I had to do. Right. I mean, it's yeah. Okay. What? Uh, I what? Just, I mean, the way you phrase that, I would say a consensus great film. But you know, uh, your point was well taken either way. So I'm going to shut up. Wow. You're you're. Uh... <laughs> You're poking Raymond, you're, the bear tonight, man. <laughs> you're, you're, you're three for three, three for three on movie picks so far, Raymond. And I'll tell you, the pinnacle was Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. So I want to thank you for that one. Uh, uh, Raymond, this, that was that was a lot of fun. This to in two thousand one were good movies. Raymond man, ruined uh, ruined the the last few months with me because I have been almost <laughs> I've been one hundred percent obsessive about two thousand one since that since that show. Oh my god, it's really? been yeah, it's been. It it it's been to the point where it's alarming, <laughs> like how obsessive I've become about it. Um, it's good, and it's and two thousand ten, I went and just do you know just as a complete uh, completist. Me too. I, I went back and watched it also. Yeah, it's just weird how how lowly regarded that is. Like it's just it's kind of an afterthought. Like even in the market, yeah. like when you go to go get a commemorative, there's like a number of commemorative two thousand one. Like Blu-rays sure. or whatever, and you and then and then a five-dollar Blu-ray of 2010 that comes yeah. included with it. Sometimes and it's it's. I mean, listen, it's it's a completely different film. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a much more you know, it's it's. But yeah. as a as a sequel to to an a, a truly amazing tour de force, you know, film, it could have been. And I mean, it's not. It's faint praise. I got it, but it could have been, been. Yeah, it could have been. Uh, it's yeah. when you watch it. You, you've it does have the d it does have the dna like of the other true. film in it you know it does have that that's the heart of one of its problems is you're following up a film like 2001 with a modern style film it's pretty good you though. know it, it 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 and it is but the problem is is the bar you're being put next to is so high yeah that there's no way you'll ever get close to it regardless of how good you are but yes, Exorcist Two is nearly unwatched. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I just saw that a couple of years ago again because it was one of those things that I had to revisit because I couldn't remember why it was so bad. And when I watched it, I'm like, oh yeah, now that's you know. why it's so now bad. You know All I remember is the foot stepping on the nails in that one scene. That's the only thing I remember from that movie. And it bothers me that that's what my mind references whenever that movie is said because I don't like that seeing the foot go through the nails. But that's all I care about with that movie. Flown. Well, uh, that was nice. I'm glad we got to, glad we got to talk about those two movies tonight. That that was a pretty good show. So, uh, Hassan, uh, 
have a good night, man. And uh, Raymond, have a good night. And Stevie? Hey, hey Latham, I, I think you might be forgetting something, pal. Oh, what am I forgetting? Oh, God. You're forgetting the same thing you always forget. My pants? Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't know you haven't stood up, but uh no Don't stand up. I, I'm no, I'm 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 afraid I'm afraid there's still one place we gotta go, pal. Ah oh, man, where's that? Down the tubes. And again, the internet is not something that you just dump something on. It's not a big truck. It's it's a series of tubes. And there we've lost the sign. <laughs> did did he black hat it? He did. He did. Okay. It's been a long day. He doesn't. He doesn't want to hear that stuff. That's right. I'm. I'm ready. So we I'm will. Ready. We will start with. Uh... Can Raymond see them? Yeah, Raymond's got them. Okay, yeah. I just want to make sure. Uh, so we will start with the uh, the Swedish poster. Uh, this was actually we ported with to the American one, like we always do. Oh wait, it's a Swedish movie. Okay, never mind. <sighs> never oh my mind. God. Why, Rare form. Why, why is he got? Why is he got a second guess me and everything? I don't understand. This uh, this image I found actually in several different languages. So uh, this is almost as like one of those uh, 80s and 90s international English posters, they would call them, where they would, they would produce a new piece of artwork for the international markets. I feel like with this film, uh, uh, they created this poster and used it for a bunch of a, a few more of the international European markets and just had them change the language or on the on the title. Uh, most of the Ingmar Bergman and obviously the actors' names wouldn't need to change. It'd be very simple for them to go in and just change the you know the title of the film on there into their own language. Yeah, this looks like a book cover. I don't like this one at all. It's uh, I mean it, it gets the point across. Uh, you know, and it's funny too. That's something we didn't talk about because I, I, I didn't bring it up. But uh, one of the things in Seven Seal, I, I was you know, and I I I sort of expected when I was watching it to. You know, because they start off the thing with him wanting to play the game of chess with death. And I sort of I sort of felt like I kept waiting for parts of the movie to stand out because I felt I kept thinking that, okay, so the movie is gonna be an analog for the chess game that they're playing. So I kept waiting to see who the different characters were representing on the chessboard and how they were being moved to to to, you know to be the chess game that they were actually playing. And I never really got that sense. I, I, don't, no. I don't think that, that was part of the story or any of the thematics, but that was just no. going, going in. I was just like, okay, okay. this is going to be, <clears throat> this is going to be interesting. And then it was, and I just like, Oh, that's not part of it at all. Okay. <laughs> yeah, was, when they brought the Bishop in, I thought he was going to like, just start walking diagonally and it didn't happen. So ne- <laughs> next is the UK quad. Not at all. Uh, yeah. You know, I like I mean, UK quads, um, but um, this one, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's probably pretty good. That's an iconic image from the film. Yeah, that, I mean, there are so many that, I mean, that's the thing. Coming into this movie, you know, 60 years late and, you know, there's so many things you see in the movie that you've, you've seen just because they've been shown in other places or images that you've seen already. There's so much of this movie that you sort of already already knew about but didn't know the, necessarily the context right uh so next is the check poster this is another you know iconic image from the from the film just used as background yeah. <laughs> that's a, this is the scene where i stopped uh i've stopped being worried about the subtitles <laughs> <laughs> i'm like oh all right <laughs> 
going to have to follow this one pretty closely. Didn't they do this in uh, Bo- Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and he opened his cloak and then the camera went into the cloak or something? I don't remember. No. Oh, I didn't didn't so. you just rewatch that mm-hmm. play? Uh, yeah, I did with Amaya a few months ago. I just can't remember. I, I feel like that was in that movie, but maybe not. Okay. Yeah, you know what? They they use his cloak for a transition. They, yeah. They use his cloak to transition to. Yeah, when uh, they're trying to be ominous for what game they're going to play. <laughs> yeah. And you don't know what game they're going to play, and he puts his cloak up, and they go into it, and then they're playing. Uh, uh, Battleship. Battleship is the first. <laughs> <in> the <battle. laughs> And that's why it's funny. It's you have sunk on. my battleship. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the funniest scenes in the entire nineties was the, the game playing sequence. Brilliant. Uh, so next up is Germany, which where we just get the uh, the sort of almost. Uh, yeah, they gave up on photography in Germany. Well, you know, yeah. it it all it almost uh, it almost felt like a uh, a Polish poster, but it's too mm. on but it's too on point. Yeah. Yeah, I actually know what the image is that I'm looking at. So. Yeah, and I really <laughs> looked hard for a for a, a Polish poster for this, and I couldn't find one. I mean, yeah. Hey, uh, Billy, do you mind uh, coloring in the areas around the black with your yellow? <laughs> Interestingly enough, next is the first of two Spanish posters, which is, well, okay. <laughs> which is so <laughs> so uh, off brand. I mean, you know, I give the end away. Well, little you know, play I mean, on you, the prairie. You would, you would never know it. Though. Little play on the prairie, and it's very ominous, like the the dark figures yeah, yeah. dancing on the. Here's a real happy scene. Oh, what's going on at the top here? Okay. Uh, yeah, it's impossible to tell. You know, it it's is. a bunch of figures dancing on a mountaintop. You're like, all right, oh, whatever. But it's like it's just it's so bright and so colorful. It's, yeah, it's just, just funny to see because it's weird. an. It's just so out of place with everything, you know, that has to do with the movie. What's a what's a movie, Raymond, that would have a poster like this from like the fifties, like uh, Giant or HUD? It's like this is like Sound of Music. Yeah, I mean, well, those are from the six uh, Giants from the fifties, but HUD and the Sound of Music's from the sixties. Yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. Heidi. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe Heidi. <laughs> So uh, next is the second Spain uh, poster, which uh, is a little a little more on point. <laughs> I mean, when was this one made? I mean, it's, I mean, I, I I think this was probably for a re-release. You are. It certainly wasn't done in the fifties. <laughs> well, no. Yeah, that's one, a re- that's a re-release. The, yeah. the one prior <laughs> was uh, a re- was uh, the original. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. This one is, you know, he's almost like surfing the chessboard down the waves. You know, well, right. What death does? He serves chessboards. Okay. So, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, son. I did find a Polish poster. I forgot. This is this is next is the Polish poster. <laughs> okay. Here we go. What in what God's the name fuck is going on here, man? <laughs> I well, don't even. What what is that? I so <sighs> like a donkey on its side or a screaming rabbit? Maybe I I don't I don't yeah I don't know. It's really hard to tell. I was looking at this for a while, and I just got fed up and, and stopped. It looks like a you know one of those uh, Rorschach uh, you know ink yeah, things. Yeah, what do you, what do you see in the block? Yeah, it's like it, a it, bad artist, or it's like a, a maybe a, a lamb screaming or something. But I just I don't know how. I, again, with the Polish posters, I don't it's know how really how any of it weird, relates man. to anything that they're doing. Yeah, I don't. Anywho, for the best. 
Yeah. Next is the the Japanese through Toa. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. Like uh, did he? Yeah. I mean, it's. Although that couple doesn't look like the couple in the movie, and, no. and the kids too. And the kid is too old. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. And you're and you're not going to push Von Sydow on the on the poster. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Go over to the Swedish consulate and film a family. It's not going to work. Uh, so next is our first artist poster by Adam Rabelais. Uh, yeah, it's pretty okay, clever. I get it. I get it. Pretty clever. I think I'd like it better if it was in English, so I'm going to say this is a good one. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, okay. it's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. If you know the movie, it's strong. If you don't yeah. know, you you have no idea what you're looking at. Yeah, it's one of those posters. Right, exactly. Uh, next is uh, Francesca Ramos. It's interesting what's going on at the bottom. It's more like a book cover. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. says a film by Ingrid Bergman. Yes, it does. <laughs> ha! I can I can dismiss this one just for yeah, that. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty awful. Is there a crow in the movie at all? Did I miss that? Mm. Yeah, there's no crow. Okay, there's no crow. Yeah, all right. So we we'll trash that one. The Omen. <laughs> Uh, next is a piece by Wang Hai. That's not bad. Wow, that's pretty intricate. Holy shit. I like this one. It's really, that's like a wood carving almost. Um, next is a piece by Ivan Ehlers. Nice. Pretty well done. Yeah, pretty well done. I mean, yeah. That was a that was a nice that was a fun scene. I like that uh, that sequence where he goes in to speak to the priest and starts talking to him in an gives like accidentally gives up the plan that's a clever <laughs> clever part of the story yeah uh so next is jessica siemens that's pretty decent yeah i like the uh i like the style of the uh the faces yeah and, uh, the the sort of the way it's approached and it's just <laughs> the gaunt dead faces of the yeah people. yeah just the you know that they're slightly caricaturish yeah they but they convey his faces like that. Um, Gory, is that his name? Am I thinking yeah, of the right Edward dude? Gory. Am I thinking of the right thing? Yeah, you're thinking yeah. of the right guy. Yeah, kind of. I mean, is that? Yeah. All right. One. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, next is a piece by Matt Chinworth. Well, yeah. It, uh, it's all right. It's right. not terrible. It's not terrible. <laughs> the color of the hair is. Yeah, it's been done a billion times, buddy. I'm, I'm sorry, what? Nothing. It's good poster. The, the what's been done a million times? Uh, the skull, like, blending into the hair behind his head. Gotcha. I, gotcha. That doesn't seem very original to me, but... Okay. Uh, next is a piece by Mickey Edge. Simplistic. Yeah. <laughs> Minimalist. Minimalistic like the movie. I think it's decent. I think it matches the tone of the movie. I like I, it. I agree. I like that one. And then uh, next is... Uh, Scott Saslow. Very clever. You are death. Yeah. It's what's the, is there a mirror? Is that yeah. a mirror? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it works. Yeah. It's a good idea. I, maybe a, the, it could have been implemented a little better, but it's, it's decent. I don't think you need the reflection of the seventh seal in the mirror, especially when. Right. Not really. Yeah. When you're kind of looking through it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not. Yeah. It's a weird effect. Yeah. 
Yeah, you don't need that. Been and better. then finally, a piece by Sister Hyde, which I like just from the design standpoint. Yeah, uh, it's not really much to do with the film in and of itself, but thematically, it, it really works. True. In keeping. Well, we're all just bones praying, you know. <laughs> well, you might be praying. Even I'm, when we're I'm, not praying. I'm not, I'm not doing much. Well, I'm not, I'm not praying, but that's what the person made bolster think. <laughs> Jackmate. So that wraps up the uh, the posters for the seventh squeal. Okay. Which was the uh, which was the the porn parody, by the way, the seventh squeal. Um, uh, oh boy. Yeah, that's right. Oh man. I think I think starting this early makes everybody cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> See what you've done to us, Raymond. <laughs> We're way more somber and serious when we start at ten o'clock. You know, but. Uh. <laughs> Uh, I don't like it. So, uh, very quick and compact show. Good job. Even with me extending it with my bad jokes. Awesome job, Stevie. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, Jesus. I, <laughs> it under your breath. Jesus. So, so, oh, you know, we don't, we didn't do it. Didn't do a fucking martini. Well, I mean, it was going to be, well, all three of us have seen Seven Seal and nothing else. So. <laughs> that's a, that's well, a should, great point. This is, this is by far the best Bergman film I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, well, we should do both. We should Hands do down, it beats all the others. <laughs> and, it, and it's definitely the best Gerald Potterton movie, uh, Heavy Metal, yeah. that I've seen. So <laughs> We got to do just gonna, and then that. So I'm just going to yes. I'm just going to find all the B.B. Anderson movies and watch those for the rest of my life. <laughs> I thought the the Gunnel Lindblom uh, girl was more attractive, honestly. Uh that they were both I wonderful. But you know, yeah, I even liked his wife. You know, I think she was she was a. Don't talk about Raymond's wife like that. Come on, man. <laughs> both of you now, right? It's going to be the. Two I really didn't know that Ingrid Bergman was not related to Ingmar Bergman. I thought they were related for sure until tonight. Oh no, 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 no. Relation whatsoever. No, no connection. Just that's a that's you know, it's like name yeah, Sweden. it's like Jones in Sweden. You know, and Anderson is like Smith, and Bergman is like Jones. Okay, okay. Well, I'd be happy to come back. Oh, we'll really? Back. We'll have, you, we'll, you, you would after all that. <laughs> I'll I'll pick a I'll pick another uh, esoteric uh, uh, import important film. <laughs> One of your top five, you. Raymond. Keep going with your top. I mean, you picked two of your top five already. Don't tell yeah, us what well, the. I mean, keep, I have a guess, but it, it's good. It's a, it's it's a good way to keep uh, keep us on our toes and keep schooling us a little bit with uh, with film. Honest. You know, to a bunch of uh, a bunch of comparative neophytes when it comes to uh, film criticism for sure. Well, uh, all right, two and a half anyway. All right, fine, Latham, you're right. You're you're so far elevated above us in, in your No, I didn't say above. I just gave myself half credit. Not okay, credit. that's I, fine. I went to film school. I saw a bunch of arty films. Exactly. All right. I'm just trying to. And there goes Hassan. Raymond, thanks so much. Thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate you taking the Thank time. Thank you, Raymond. And uh, I sure. thanks we'll, for we'll having you for the seven seal. Definitely, that's, we'll, that's we will uh, we will definitely uh, have you back soon uh, after the beginning of the year. Uh, if I don't speak with you, have a very nice holiday. Have a uh, have a very happy new year, and uh, we'll uh, definitely talk to you on the other side. 
Thanks. All right, Same Raymond, to take, you guys. Take care. All right. Raymond, take care. Uh, all right. Well, uh, thanks to Fesley and Music. Please check out our website at sentimentalpod.com for all the poster images we discuss in our Down the Tube segments. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Sentimental wherever you enjoy your podcast. You can always listen to new episodes at sentimentalpod.com. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at Cinemental Pod. For Hassan Godwin, Lathan Conger III, Raymond Benson, and myself, we say thank you so much for listening. As always, in the words, our friend and French cinema auteur, Truman Burbank. <laughs> good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Scythe-wielding... No. <laughs> Cellulose fanatic. <laughs>